All right, we're going to be in the book of Daniel again this week, chapter 9. This is our uh, 17th message in our series on the book of Daniel. Uh, We have arrived now in chapter 9, the uh, last four verses of this chapter, which we will not get to until next week. Uh, They have generated as much debate and disagreement as almost any prophetic passage in the the Bible. Uh, We'll tackle it, Lord willing, next Sunday. Uh, But part of the key to understanding those last four verses of the chapter are understanding the first few verses of the chapter, where Daniel prays a powerful, moving, stirring prayer in the first part of chapter 9. And part of God's answer to Daniel's prayer is the prophetic insight that God gives him in those last four verses. But this week we're going to examine Daniel's prayer We're going to read verses 1 through 19, and then we will begin to unpack this magnificent outpouring of Daniel's heart that we are going to call Four Marks of Godly Praying. Four Marks of Godly Praying. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, you remember that occurred chronologically in Daniel, right at the end of chapter 5. Uh, and uh, he, was, he had just taken over from Belshazzar, the Persians and the Medes had overrun the Babylonians. And in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, in that first year, verse 2 of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to shame of face as it is, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, although we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. 
Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. I thought, wow. What a prayer. What, a, what, a, what an outpouring of the heart of a godly man. No wonder God included him, as we saw last week, in that, in that elite group of righteous men, Noah, Job, and Daniel. What an amazing prayer. You know, back in 1835, a man was born named Edward McKendry Bounds. He came to be known by his initials E.M. Bounds. When E.M. Bounds finished his general education, he became a lawyer and he opened a law practice in Missouri, the state where he was born and raised. Shortly thereafter, he sensed from the Lord a call to preach, so he closed his law firm and he went to seminary and became a pastor. The year after he became a pastor, the Civil War broke out. Missouri was officially a Union state, but there was a lot of internal conflict between the pro-Union and pro-Confederate sentiments in Missouri. And Pastor Bounds was opposed to slavery, but he was also opposed to the federal government interfering with state decisions. So he was pro-states' rights, but he was anti-slavery. Kind of an interesting position during the Civil War. Uh, and uh, at different times through the war, he wound up being imprisoned by both sides. He'd be arrested by some Confederates, thrown in jail, then the Union guys would let him out, then they'd throw him in prison, and then, then they'd let him out. Then he'd be with the Confederates a while, then they'd throw him out, and then he'd be with the Union for a while. He, was, uh, he, he, tell, he tells you, of course, he was, he was a man of very strong convictions. But after the war, he pastored for another 25 years or so, then he became the editor of a religious magazine and a writer of books. He wrote eight books on prayer. He died in 1913, but even over a hundred years after his death, all eight of his books on prayer are still in print. They, they have become classics on prayer. If you're an internet person, you could Google E.M. Bounds on prayer, and you'll see all of his books. Uh, they're still there, you can still buy them. Obviously, Daniel never heard of E.M. Bounds, but I assure you that E.M. Bounds was well aware of Daniel. Let me read you a few quotes on prayer by Pastor Bounds, E.M. Bounds, written well over a hundred years ago. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better machinery, and he doesn't mean tractors and forklifts. 
He means the operations, the, the, the things that make churches function in their operational structures. He said what the church needs today is, is not more of that, not new organizations or more novel methods, but the church needs men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, He flows through men. He does not come or descend on methods, but on men. He does not anoint plans, He anoints men, men of prayer. Nothing is more important to God than a prayer than prayer in dealing with mankind, but it's likewise all important to man to pray. Failure to pray is failure along the whole line of life. It is a failure of duty, service, and spiritual progress. God must help man by prayer. He who does not pray, therefore, robs himself of God's help. Faith, hope, and patience, and all of the strong, beautiful, vital forces of holiness are withered and dead in a prayerless life. The life of the individual believer, his personal salvation, his personal Christian graces have their being, their bloom, and their fruit in prayer. Prayer is an absolute necessity to the proper carrying on of God's work. God has made it so. Prayer is the greatest of all forces because it honors God and it brings Him into our active aid. And on and on you could go with quotes from E.M. Bounds on prayer. Obviously, he wrote eight books. There's a lot of quotes from E.M. Bounds on prayer floating around these days. Pastor Bounds certainly understood Daniel and godly prayer. And I trust that you as well understand the absolute necessity of communicating with God through prayer. We cannot be mature disciples of Jesus without effective prayer. And whether our church goes forward in reaching people for Christ and making disciples or becomes stagnant and collapses depends often on how we pray. Everything else is secondary. What happens in your spiritual life is so dependent on prayer. We know from the scripture, of course, that salvation is the work of God's grace as the Holy Spirit moves on a person's heart and brings conviction of sin and grants faith in the person and work of Jesus. And we are to proclaim the gospel of Christ and teach the word of God. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're not selling Jesus. Jesus said he would build his church and we are simply tools in his hands. But we are to do the work of God as Zechariah the prophet wrote, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We must do the Lord's work the Lord's way, or we will be doing our own work in the power of the flesh. An essential part of doing the Lord's work the Lord's way is godly prayer. And there are many powerful, beautiful prayers recorded in the Scripture. This is certainly one of them. I must say I was very much stirred as I studied this week and very much convicted standing next to Daniel, listening as he prayed, and seeing this window into his heart for God uh, absolutely made me feel like a spiritual wimp. But let's develop our thoughts from this passage this morning. Well, what are the marks of godly praying? The marks of godly praying. The first one is this. Godly praying is rooted in the Scripture. Godly praying is rooted in the Scripture. Well, notice in our first verses, in our first few verses, uh, that Daniel, this prayer of Daniel's, came about because of his reading and study of the Scripture. 
In this case, he was reading the scroll of what we call the book of Jeremiah. Verse 2 says, The first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Israel, of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request. So, so this, this whole prayer of Daniel's flowed out of what he was reading in the Word of God. Let's look at what Daniel was reading in the Word of God. It's in what we call Jeremiah chapter 25. You remember, of course, the Bible was not divided into chapters and verses until about 500 years ago after the invention of the printing press. Uh, so, so Daniel is unrolling the scroll of Jeremiah, and he is reading this prophecy of Jeremiah, and he comes across this section in Jeremiah's prophecy that, that we call chapter 25. And I want you to see what, what Jeremiah has to say, because this is what drove Daniel to his prayer. Jeremiah chapter 25 says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah... In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened." Jeremiah says, folks, I've been preaching to you for 23 years that judgment from God was coming. I've been telling you that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come. I've been telling you to repent for 23 years. And he says, nobody has paid a lick of attention to me. You have not listened. Verse 4, the Lord sent you all to his servants. The Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened or inclined your ear to hear. They said, meaning the prophets, repent now every one of his evil way and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. <clears throat> Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then it will come to pass, when the seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation." So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. That's what Daniel was reading. Because this is the first time in prophetic writing, here in, the, in what we call chapter 25, that God told the children of Israel how long they would be in Babylon. And he said when 70 years are completed, and you can imagine, here's Daniel reading along, and suddenly this jumps out 
and grabs it. <gasps> Seventy years. You know, the, 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 the warnings that God will bring judgment to Judah have been going on for decades. But the, the, in fact, uh, in almost a century or more. But here, God tells the people how long they're going to be exiled. And you, and you might ask, why 70? What was the idea of the 70 years? Well, according, we won't take the time to read the verses. If you want to do some follow-up study, I'll give you the chapters. But according to Leviticus 26... God commanded the nation of Israel to keep his Sabbaths, plural. There was a weekly Sabbath that we are well aware of, work six days, rest one day, to, to commemorate God's work at creation. There was also a yearly Sabbath now, for those in agriculture, which was almost everyone, work the land for six years and then let it rest for one year. And God said, I will bless you with enough abundance in your crop that you can let the land rest for one year, and I will make sure that you will have enough food to carry you all the way through until the harvest two years later. So in Leviticus 26, God said, keep my Sabbaths. And he also said, if you don't, he said, I will send an enemy nation among you, and they will carry you out of the land, and the land will rest and get its Sabbaths one way or the other. So God says, either you will give the land its Sabbaths, or I will give the land its Sabbaths. Whichever way you want it. Then in 2 Chronicles 36, the scripture specifically says that the Babylonian exile lasted for 70 years so that the land could get its Sabbaths. So apparently... The nation of Israel had not been observing that yearly agricultural Sabbath of work, work the land for six years, let it rest for one. Work the land for six years, let it rest for one. The children of Israel had not been doing that from the time of King Saul and the high priest Eli all the way up until Nebuchadnezzar conquered them, which was 490 years. <clears throat> so after 490 years of not keeping that, that seven-year Sabbath, God said, I'm going to send you out of the land, and I'm going to the land, land, let the land rest for 70 years so that it can catch up on its Sabbaths. So Daniel is, is reading this portion from Jeremiah in the first year of, of, of Darius. It's been about 539-538 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar overran Jerusalem in 606 B.C. Daniel has been in Babylon for 68 years. And so here's Daniel now in his mid-80s, if not his late 80s, reading the scroll of Jeremiah, and it jumps off the page and hits him. It's almost over. It's almost over. God said 70 years. I've been here 68 years in Babylon. And I'm not sure that we can even imagine the emotion of that moment. <clears throat> the, the overwhelming jolt as Daniel recognizes what's about to happen. There were not thousands of printed Bibles lying around as we have today. And I would guess that the enormous numbers of copies of Scripture were destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem. But in the providence of God, Daniel has access to a scroll of Jeremiah, and he's studying the Word of God, and he sees this portion of prophecy, and wow, it hits him. It's almost over. And he doesn't break out into a happy dance, jumping for joy. He falls on his knees and starts to pray. And he says he prays, as said in those first verses, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. 
all signs of mourning and pleading with God. And what Daniel begins to pray is he prays that God will perform his revealed will. And that is such an important principle for us. Godly praying is rooted in the scripture. It was the scripture that drove Daniel to pray. It was understanding the teaching of scripture that drove Daniel to pray. It was recognizing what God was about to do. Believing, excuse me, believing that God would keep his promises. Understanding what the word of God teaches. That's what drove Daniel to pray. Praying that is not rooted in the scripture is always going to lead us to self-centeredness, as the book of James tells us. James 4, James said, You ask and you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, wanting to get things for your own pleasures. You see, praying that is not rooted in the Scripture will always lead us to self-centeredness. But godly praying is always rooted in the Scripture. It all flows out of what we are reading and understanding and studying in the Word of God. Secondly, and if you happen to glance at your watch, it's okay. My next three points aren't quite as long as the first one. Godly prayer praying is displayed by confession. Someone studying this prayer here in, in Daniel chapter 9 uh, broke it up phrase by phrase. And he calculated that this prayer was 72% confession. I didn't do that. I didn't write all the phrases out and make the calculation. But I have no problem accepting his analysis. Look at your Bible and just kind of start in, in verse 4. And let me just point out a couple of phrases to you. Verse 4, notice Daniel says, I made confession. Verse 5, Daniel says, we have sinned. Verse 6, Daniel says, neither have we listened. Verse 7, he says, we should be ashamed because of our unfaithfulness. Verse 8, he says, we have sinned against you. Verse 9, he says, we have rebelled. Verse 10, he says, we have not obeyed. Verse 11, he says, all Israel has transgressed your law and departed from your voice. And we see phrases like this all the way through verse 19. So I have no trouble believing that Daniel's prayer was 72% confession. The word confession means to agree with. Biblically, confession is agreeing with God. God says, Larry, you're a sinner. To which I reply, yes, Lord, you're right. I am a sinner. God says, you were wrong in doing that or saying that or thinking that. I say, yes, Lord, you're right. I was wrong. You need forgiveness, God says. Yes, Lord, I do. God says, you're nowhere near as righteous as you think you are. Yes, Lord, I'm sure that's true. God says, you need to repent. I say, yes, Lord, I do. And I will. You get the point we're driving at, I'm sure. Confession is agreeing with God about myself and about Him, and about others, and about my circumstances, and about God's discipline of me for my foolishness. God is right in everything He does, and we say, I believe that, Lord, and I accept that. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. Daniel says, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. 
Godly praying does not say, you know, I, Lord, I, I think I've really been trying pretty hard. You know what I mean? Can you, can you help me out this week? Or we might not, uh, godly praying is not saying to the Lord, I, I'm, I'm not doing that bad, Lord, at least, at least not this week. Remember that Daniel was listed by God with Noah and Job as being righteous men. But there is no hint of anything in this prayer except humility and confession and identifying himself with the sins of Judah that brought them to Babylon. Way back in chapter 1, Daniel had determined as a teenager to live for God, do or die. He had witnessed the, the destruction of Jerusalem. He had witnessed the slaughter of thousands of his people. He'd been torn away from his family and his home. He'd been marched several hundred miles as a captive slave. The Babylonians had changed his name. They changed his food. They changed his education. And he still determined to follow the Lord. Daniel was not the reason God had judged Judah. He was a kid when all that happened. But he still prayed with confession and identified himself with his people, recognizing the mercy of God. I love verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Verse 18, O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. See, godly praying is rooted in Scripture. Godly praying is displayed by confession. And then thirdly, godly praying is grounded in God's character. Godly praying is grounded in God's character. If we were to go back through verse 4, you see Daniel saying, O Lord, great and awesome God. You see in verse 7, he talks about God being righteous. In verse 9 and 12 and 14, he talks about God being merciful and forgiving. He says, Lord, be consistent with your character for your name, for your people, for your city. Lord, this is all about you. you everything you did was right and, and it was just and, and it was exactly what you said you were going to do. Lord, you're always right. You're always righteous in all that you do. You're good. You're great. You're awesome. You're merciful. You're, you're, you're forgiving. But now, Lord, the 70 years is up. So still, Lord, be consistent consistent with your character for your name and for your people and for your city and send us back you know it's kind of an amazing thought when you think about it that that God says I'm going to keep you in Babylon for 70 years and rather than Daniel saying boy the 70 years is about up I guess we're going to, it's all going to, we're going to be out of here pretty soon now let's go have a party he falls on his face and begins to pray that God will, will, will bring to pass what He promised to do. Some of the old-time preachers, not me for those of you who are young, I mean the real old-time preachers going back several hundred years, <laughs> they used to encourage people, and this is the great phrase, to, to plead the promises. I really love that. Plead the promises of God, they used to say. Pray Believing that God will keep His promises, knowing that God will always be faithful to His character, knowing that everything He does will be righteous. That's what Daniel's doing. 
Lord, you're great. You're awesome. You're righteous. Everything you did to Jerusalem was righteous. We deserved it. You warned us. We didn't listen. We rebelled. When you judged us, you were just keeping, you're just keeping your word. You were just keeping your promise. But now, Lord, you said 70 years. It's almost over. Hear my prayer, Lord. Cause your face to shine on us. We come to you not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercies. So hear and act for your sake, for the sake of your own character, Lord. That, my friends, is pleading the promises. It is godly praying that is grounded in God's character. So godly praying is rooted in the Scripture. Godly praying is displayed by confession. If godly praying is grounded in God's character, and if the first three marks of godly praying are, are evident, then this fourth one will be too. Godly praying will bring an answer. Look at verse 20, look at verse 20 to 23. Now, while I was speaking, Daniel says, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, we saw him in chapter 8, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, be about three in the afternoon. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision, which we'll look at the vision on next week. While Daniel was praying, God commanded the angel Gabriel to go to Daniel and help him understand the vision he was about to see. Gabriel is a special messenger from God, an angelic messenger. He brings in the Scripture important, world-changing messages. He only spoke to three people in the Scripture that we are aware of where he's named. He spoke to Daniel here more than one, on, on more than one occasion. He spoke to Zechariah, not the prophet of the Old Testament, but Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He spoke to him to tell him about the birth of John the Baptist. And Gabriel is the one who came to the Virgin Mary. So Daniel, again, is in an elite group in the Bible. One of three people that Gabriel delivered messages to. But what we want to note is that God commanded Gabriel to go to Daniel while he was praying. And remember, fasting in sackcloth and ashes, as verse 3 said. God heard his godly praying, and he sent Gabriel with the answer. And please understand that God answering prayer does not mean that He will always give us what we want, when we want it, and, 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 and how we want it. But godly praying rooted in Scripture, displayed by confession, grounded in God's character, it will bring an answer from the Lord. God may say yes. God may say no. God may say wait. If you're praying selfishly, God may say forget it. You don't know what you're asking for. That would be terrible. You just don't realize it. One pastor put it this way, if the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right and the timing is right and you are right, God says go. James Steagles was 19 years old. He was in Vietnam. Though he carried a small Gideon and New Testament in his shirt pocket, he couldn't bring himself to read it. His buddies were being cut down all around him. Terror was building within him. God seemed far away. 
his 20th birthday passed, then his 21st, he felt like he couldn't go on, couldn't stand it anymore. On February the 26th, 1968, he prayed for it all to end. And he honestly believed in heart, in his heart he was going to die before nightfall. Sure enough, his base came under attack that day and Jim heard a rocket coming straight toward him. Three seconds to live, he told himself. Then two. Then a friend shoved him into a grease pit and he waited for the rocket to explode, but there was only silence. The fuse had malfunctioned. For five hours, James knelt in that pit on February 26th of 1968, and finally his shaking hand reached into his shirt pocket and took out his New Testament. Beginning with Matthew, he continued reading through the first 18 chapters. When I got to Matthew 18, 19, and 20, he said, I knew somehow things would be all right. Many years after Jim returned home, he was visiting his wife's grandmother, Mrs. Harris, who told him that a night long ago, she had awakened in terror. Knowing Jim was in Vietnam, she had sensed he was in trouble. She began praying for God to spare his life. Unable to kneel because of her arthritis, she lay flat on the floor praying and reading her Bible all night. Just before dawn, she came across Matthew 18, verses 19 to 20. If any two of you agree on anything on this earth concerning that what you may ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. She immediately called her Sunday school teacher, who got out of bed and went to Mrs. Harris's house, where they together prayed, claiming the promises of God as they prayed for Jim until they were reassured by a sense of God's peace. Having told Jim that story, Mrs. Harris opened her Bible to show him where she had marked the passage there in Matthew 18. In the margin were the words, Jim, February 26th, 1968. Most of our experiences in prayer will not be nearly that dramatic. But godly praying, rooted in Scripture, displayed by confession, grounded in God's character will bring an answer from the Lord. How's your prayer life? Let's pray. Lord, I certainly confess to you that there are many, many times my prayer life is very anemic. You have certainly answered prayer on our behalf many times in many ways over the years. But Lord, we all need to be stirred by Daniel's prayer, rooted in the Scripture, filled with confession, and grounded in the character of God. Lord, I pray that in 2022, that you would strengthen our prayer lives. That we would be serious in prayer and earnest in prayer and fervent in prayer. Lord, we don't know what this, what this earth is going to, to do this year, what's going to happen in our world in these, next, in these next 12 months. But we know that you are the righteous, great, awesome, mighty God.
and you are going to bring about your will. Help us, Lord, as we pray for others, as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for our country, and as we worship you in prayer. Help us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.